I am so ready for you, and you don't even know. Oh, no. It's a well, threat. <laughs> so first of all, take two, everyone. Take- my makeup was better yesterday, but my hair is better today. So That's okay. I'm, I'm 100% better today. All right. So first of all, <laughs> I saved for you the sound of me opening this ice-cold seltzer. I know. I love that. It's wonderful, <laughs> isn't it? It's so cold. It's warm in my office today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Would you rather... Okay. I have fresh ones today. Um, I liked knit- yesterday's. <laughs> Good. Uh, would you rather knit only raglans forever or only cables forever? <laughs> it's the face for me. <laughs> um, it's, I guess it's raglans. I knew it was going to be because you can't go your whole life without knitting lace. I've met you. And when was the last time I knit a cable? It's when I knit local meadow. And those yeah. are four four cables. Four <laughs> four cables. That's like how many movies I've seen in ten years. Okay. I actually have no uh, problem with cables. I think they're really nice and I like knitting them a lot, but the fabric they make is too heavy for most of the garments that I design and wear. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Mm-hmm. All right. Would you rather Design. This is a design one. Would you rather design a deep V with bus starts in the diagonal of the V? Oh, gosh. Or <laughs> write the shaping for an in the round compound raglan with short row shaping? Mm. I mean, honestly, I don't hate doing. I think the. I think the compound raglan with in the round short row shaping is an easier thing to, to write than the diagonal bust arts. I don't know. I guess the diagonal bust arts aren't really that hard to write in there because you just, you would just subtract out the V from the center stitches, correct? Well, you have to redistribute the decreases for the extra rows. They're both really hard. Uh, yes. That's true. That's true. I think the first one. I have done that before. So I didn't, wouldn't say that I didn't cry. I might have cried. <laughs> They're crying in design. Psych, it's all crying. I might have cried at some point during that one, but I can't remember. Cry so okay. much. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather frog a mohair project that took 10 hours? We have to frog mohair. Or, and I'm allergic to mohair. Well, pretend you're not. I don't know. Okay. All Something right. fuzzy. Or frog a project that you've put like 75 hours into, but would be easy to frog. No, I mean, I would still take the hard to frog thing over the other one because you're still not going to spend 65 hours frogging something. I am knitting from something as I frog it and it's slippery. So it's like, this is fine. Oh, so you could do that, but you're still looking at longer time. Yeah, but it's you're still looking at like an extra seventy five hours versus an extra what ten, maybe fifteen if it's like a really difficult reclaiming situation. Last one: Would you rather design a swimsuit or design a lingerie teddy? Oh, I feel like you already know the answer to that, though. What do you think I'm going to say? I think you're going to say lingerie, but you like a beach knit. So I do, but uh, this is my issue with swimsuits is that you are so limited. There's only like maybe one or two yarns that exist that are actually suitable to be swimsuit yarns. And I don't like them. So it's much harder to sell lingerie than it is a swimsuit because you can't. Well, this just shows my ethics because I don't want to design something that y'all can't actually use. And I'm not interested in a swimsuit that I can't wear in the pool because I swim when I'm wearing a bathing suit. Even when I go to like the fancy beach in a thong, I still get in the water. So I'm not going to not get in the water in a bathing suit. But I know that people are happy with their knit bathing suits for sun tanning or whatever. And not everyone likes to swim, but I do. If I made a swimsuit, it would need to function as a swimsuit. And I was going to say, because you can't really, like, post lingerie on the internet, but of course you can. You just did. I just did. Like, five seconds ago. And you know I have. (laughs) I know you have. 
But Ravelry will, you won't show up in results if you market mature content on Ravelry. Did you know that? I did not know that, but I did not mark my bra as mature content because it's not really. It's not. Maybe revealing. it's swears only. Maybe it's not things like underwear. I think if you are, well, I think a lingerie teddy, you would have to mark those photos as inappropriate if. But it's more about like the appropriateness of the photos. If you're not showing something that like Instagram wouldn't let you show, then I don't think Ravelry would require you to mark something as adult, you know? Somebody's going to tell us. We don't know. Yeah. So this is I don't our design first... things for Ravelry either. Yeah, Ravelry. <laughs> we don't know. I mean, we, we use Ravelry, the but yeah, exactly. This is our first like podcast after our big reveal so big for anybody who did not either catch us live or rewatch the live for funsies also dude can you hear that because like we have somebody mow our lawn and they're here now oh no i don't so hear them. loud no okay well y'all i'm sorry <laughs> we had to re-record because we weren't happy with our audio quality so i certainly it's too bad we're not going we can't go back okay so if you missed our <laughs> announcement if you missed the announcement um we're smashing brands together and mm -hmm. we're going to be releasing our work under a design house label so you'll still get jen's patterns from mm -hmm. one wild designs and you'll still get elizabeth's margaret's patterns from one wild designs but you're going to see greater homogeneity um in style and writing and um yeah you'll see more pieces from both of us that go together because we'll be releasing our work in collections yeah. and hopefully maybe some begin... collaborative pieces in the future right yeah, maybe <laughs> we don't know it's wide open <laughs> um so yeah so what else does that mean what else does that mean um well it means that we've got some big announcements um kind of besides that to welcome in the uh official unofficial beginning of one wild we're doing a knit along so that's um our most pressing matter is yes. that y'all should come join us for the knit along uh, we have had two different Slack channels. We are going to be combining them and uh, welcoming anyone who would like to join. Our Slacks are the places where we privately run our tests, but also publicly host conversation around design, modification, general knitting. It's a great place to ask questions and find lots of other knitters as well as Jen and myself there to help. Um, and we will have a channel there for the knit along. That's right. And so the knit along, this episode is going to air on August 9th. So if you're watching it today, as it airs, the knit along will begin next Friday. Mm -hmm. on August the 18th? 18th. That's right. And it will okay. go through November 11th. So uh, you're welcome to knit either of our garment patterns. Bess only has garments, of course, but I have a couple others. But we'll be mm -hmm. including all of our garment designs, and we're going to offer you a discount. So if you'd like to get 15% off our patterns, um, good for the rest of the month. And no, we won't tell on you if you're not actually participating in the knit along. But um, yeah. <laughs> the code is going to be one wild K A L. So one is spelled out O N E wild K A L. We'll put it in show notes. Um, and that will be good through the end of August for 15% off as many patterns as you'd like to um, add to your library. Yeah. And now we would love to see those works in progress either in our Slack channel, but most especially in person. We're going to be joining forces together um, for some meetups. We'll be in the Baltimore area and the Harrisburg area of Pennsylvania in mid-September. And we uh, will likely have more information about those dates for you soon. And in October, we're going to be at Woolen Folk and also at Sheep and Wool. So we do have some information about that now. Do you want to share those details? Um, let's just share for now that if you want to catch us at New York Sheep and Wool, we'll be there Sunday. I swore last mm -hmm. year because I went last year for the first time. I was so overwhelmed. I was like, I'm never going back. That was terrible. That was mm -hmm. too many people. My brain hurts. My soul hurts. 
Um, but it's kind of like being an ostrich to be a knitwear designer and be like, I'm not going to go to the, like the, the thing I'm not going to like, I can't really opt out. But mm -hmm. so the deal I struck with myself is I'm not going on Saturday. So I will be there Sunday. Bess will be there Sunday. We'd mm -hmm. love to see you on the Hill at 1030. We'll have picnic blankets and we'll be knitting and we, um, would love to be a quiet place for you to rest your eyeballs and your feet and to hang out with us and enjoy some Sunday brunch style knitting. Yeah. Yeah. We more to come to on Woolen Folk. Yes. More to come on all of these things. Um, yeah. And then the official end date of this knit along is like Jen said, November 17th. So we're going to have live knit nights on both the August 18th for the start and on November 17th for close. And the idea is to help all of us just enjoy this season of garment making before the holiday when most of us tend to have uh, other projects or other obligations on our plate that make it harder to enjoy that hobby. And then uh, we'll be coming all, all coming back strong in January. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. That's the announcements. Well, there's one more announcement. Is there? Body of work. Body of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, so there's this, two more announcements. So, so body of work. Too much. Send some of it back. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, Jen. We must announce the announcements. Okay. Last time we <laughs> recorded a podcast episode with you, we both were talking about publications that we were planning to release. Well, we're not going to duplicate that effort. Instead, we're going to team up, join forces. You're right. We do have two announcements and um, mm -hmm. create something even more valuable. I think we both really feel like there's so much throw away, you know, content that people are making. And we just really want to make things of substance. That's where our hearts lie. That's how we feel like we connect with you best. And so, yeah, Body of Work is going to be a digital first publication. We may or may not do a limited run of prints. We're not sure. We're not promising. But it will be at the very least a digital publication. And it will include studio photography of the other parts of the collection, the knit pieces, but we'll also include um, articles from knitters and designers and some uh, projects that you can cast on and some other goodies. So yeah, we're for this particular part of the collection, the publication, we're kind of reimagining what if a knitting um, book or a knitting magazine were there to inspire you and help you move your work in its own direction. And so that's what we're exploring with this. Um, and we both have sponsor sponsorships available on our coffee, which are one-time contributions that will go towards all of the various costs of this publication, which are definitely um, Scary. not small. Yeah. <laughs> But we're really excited about it. And so if you want to contribute to that, you can do so at either one of our coffees. It doesn't really matter to us where you put those funds. They're both going to be going towards this project. Um, yeah. Behind the scenes talk. Uh, I'm really viewing the cost of creating body of work, not so much as a business investment, as the cost of materials to create a piece of work that I want to exist in the world as if I were buying for an art project. Yes. You know, I think that there's just so much conversation that we've been having around. Uh, so the title's body of work, right? And there's so many different ways of knitting to interpret that. Like each of us knits up a number of things and that's our kind of our body of work, like mm -hmm. the things we've made with our hands, but also kind of collectively we're working apart together to create I like to imagine us the sea of knits that we're creating as knitters in solidarity with each other They make a statement about fast fashion. They make a statement about living in skin suits. They make a statement mm. about, you know, uh, uh, pressures in the world. But then like yeah. also each of us has our own body that we live and work in and the practice of, in, of, of, of doing that with a sense of embodiment and a sense of purpose and the way that intersects with making clothes for that body. So I feel like it's a really, there's a big thing that we want to say here. It's a big theme and it's important. And so as scary as the investment is for us, as we meet with all the people that it's going to require to get it up and off the ground. We did just have a big meeting. <laughs> it feels important. And it feels like something that I'm personally very proud to be working on with you, friendy. I'm proud to be working on it with you as well. If you, you know, 
you guys often like hearing some of the backstory of me and Jen's friendship. So for those of you who don't know, um, this is, we're coming up on three years of having met virtually in like a month or so. And um, of course we only met in person about two months ago now. So the past three years, you know, we were both really new designers when we met and um, our friendship has just been built so much around this mutual support and community that we found with each other. So we've each had our fingers in the pot, so to speak, of like all of the work that we've been putting out for essentially our whole careers at this point as garment designers. Um, so combining our efforts in this way just makes so much more sense, especially because one of the things that drives both of us is celebrating community and celebrating collaboration and the fact that we really are stronger and go further together. So, you know, I am so excited for this publication and the other work that we're going to be sharing with y'all. Um, and you can follow our, we have an official One Wild Designs Instagram now, and that will be like the social media hub where um, both of our com combined efforts, anything that is One Wild is going to be there. Um, so you can easily catch up on like pattern releases, publications, you know, see amazing different test knitters and projects. And if you are super inspired by a maker or you're doing like a really uh, unique project, please share it with us because we're looking for people like that, um, not necessarily for this coming publication, but to highlight and collaborate with in general. So we'd love to yeah. meet more of you. Yeah. Last announcement. Out. No, let's not do anymore. We'll do it at the end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about something else. <laughs> well, so I this talk about episode, <laughs> yeah, in the spirit of announcement of, sorry, in the spirit of community for this episode, we have sort of trolled through our comment sections of this podcast. And we have a couple of comments from outside of um, the podcast section as well. But just comments that we think are interesting, that we want to highlight, that questions and conversations we wanted to get into. So that's what we're doing today. It's a little grab bag. Yeah. Roll that, roll that bum bum, and then I'll read to you. Okay. Bum. <laughs> uh, wait, while we're in the pause, for one moment there, you, you blanked, like you, I couldn't hear or see you for about one and a half seconds, and then you came back. So I don't know. I'm going to assume that might have been just like a streaming issue, even if it is in the final podcast. I don't think it will be enough to matter. So I just wanted to share that. Oh, I haven't cool. heard any lawnmower sounds. Good. Yeah. All right. Okay. We are back. back. <laughs> we haven't done that in a while. <laughs> this was our behind the scenes way of telling future me to uh, stop the edits <laughs> stop the edits okay so this one is from emmy emmy paez 4890 um you're getting youtube handles because we don't always know your names uh hi hi ladies i've been experienced i've experienced biasing with cotton yarn recently testing a pattern i think i may have to start over any tips on how to handle this i realize that this is caused by extra spin that we knit in what can I do if I've experienced this even from using the skein from the outside? Thanks. And then Waving Cat 5 chimed in and said, I knit combination. I think this might have caused more bias for me sometimes. I think if I notice I'm having problems with bias and blocking doesn't help, I'll also swatch using conventional netting. Even continental versus English style might make a difference, um, though probably not as much. So um, Bess pulled these questions and I was like, oh, girl, like I don't have any information to add about... How much spin. twist gets added? Right. But I was like, excuse me, I actually don't understand bias at all. And so we, so I feel like we have to acknowledge the conversation we had that wasn't recorded because it was really interesting to me. And I kind of want to start there that we were discussing this and I'm a continental knitter. So there's that. But I, I think that the reason because you might be like WTF best, you don't know what biasing stitches means. I'm not sure I've ever, ever had this happen to one of my swatches or one of my knits. And I definitely am not like 
paying attention to twist and spin. And when I was a new garment knitter, I used all kinds of yarn that are supposed to bias. Um, it's possible that I might be able to make something bias. I'm actually going to try when I get some yarn that has potential. But we think the reason that I've never experienced bias is because I have a fairly invisible hand disability from having been born with an extra functioning, like opposable thumb that when I was really, really teeny, my hand was reconstructed. So I don't often think about that, but when I look in like other people knitting, I notice that they're doing a movement with their hands that I can't do. So like my knitting, I'm still a pretty fast and obviously very regular knitter, but my knitting is impacted by that. And so the sort of side interesting fact is like, maybe that's why, but now I want to talk about the way I'm that so I bad on your behalf that they cut off your thumb. I know it's strange. I mean, it's strange and it's not strange because I was born in the mid eighties and they for sure, like if you were born with an extra arm, they would be like, yeah, let's cut that off. Um, you know, there's a choice there when someone is born and I understand why the choice was made on my behalf, but I wouldn't have made that choice myself because of the you know, like my hand doesn't look like it's super irregular, but everything that I do from like holding a pen to using scissors, like I've just had to figure out how to do all of those things, not in the way that you are like showed to do them. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So it is what it is now, but uh, yeah, maybe it's a secret. Now. Right. <laughs> My sister always says, like, imagine how good you would be at knitting. And, like, you know, I played the piano growing up. She's like, you would have been the best piano player. So my sister's on my side. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so let's talk about what biasing is before we talk yes. about how to get it in or out of your knits. I have a little swatch here that is um, it biases. And you can tell it's on the diagonal, right? So it's not if it were a rectangle it would be like even, but it's not, it's like this. Yeah. And so um, it's a parallelogram instead of like a slanty parallelogram instead of one with right angles. And so mm -hmm. on the body, what that does is you can already see in this itty bitty switch is beginning to create this drag line here. And in mm -hmm. um, larger fabric uh, that will be pronounced. So it will spin around the body and it will create diagonal drag lines as the weight of that fabric pulls it, um, into something that resembles straight. So, and it'll probably like move around on you more too then, right? Because it's wanting yeah. to twist. So mm -hmm. it like the shoulders won't stay put as well. The sleeve seams wouldn't want to be straight, etc. Yeah, and you can block out some amount of bias. Um I always block my swatches on a flat surface rather mm -hmm. than like my flocked blocking mats so that I can see if this naturally wants to happen. Um, because I want to know if a, fa if a fabric is going to want to twist before I knit with it. Um, yeah. So how much do you think, like when we block something out and then wear it for a long time, does bias like have the potential to creep back in after it's been blocked out? If you are able to block it out, you're you not know, sure. We, like I think about like in sewing, when we work with wool, it has a strong memory. Mm -hmm. So if you like crease wool, and you press that crease in, it's very difficult to get it out. So I don't know. I don't have a full answer. I only yeah. have a answer. <laughs> I would say this. I feel like if you could block it out, then you would likely be able to do some amount of steam blocking, like in between washes to probably help. Yeah. But then if you found that you would not be able to block out some bias, we're saying that's not going to be a good garment yarn. Yeah. So I, I picked this for a sample for local meta, which is a seamed garment with some cables. Um, there are a couple of different ways to deal with bias when it creeps into your knits. But first, let me tell you what causes bias structurally in the yarn, because I have heard that there are different ways that you can knit or different ways that you can wind your ball or work from your ball that may or may not add additional twists to the yarn that can cause biasing. But by far, the vast majority of biasing that you're going to see in the fabric is going to come from the structure of the yarn. Um, and that's because when we make yarn, we twist the fibers in one direction to make plies 
individual plies. It's like, if you think about single ply, it's just one twist, right? And then we mm -hmm. take those plies and we ply them together and then we spin them in the opposite direction. And that's what creates a stable balanced yarn. So when you twist something, it wants to untwist, but when it has other things that are twisted in the same direction as it, and you allow it to do that, it creates a stable twist. So if you were to cut those ends, if you cut yarn, it doesn't come unraveled. So right. the, that means that there are two times when we deliberately see bias in yarn. One is when we have a single ply and yeah. And so like single ply doesn't come unraveled immediately. It's been blocked so that it has some stability, right? And so different single plies will bias different amounts, but most of them will bias at least a little bit. Mm. Um, the other time we see it is deliberately in high twist sock yarn. Uh, and that's what this is. This is a sock yarn. I didn't know it was going to be a high twist sock yarn. Sometimes sock yarn means that it's been overplied. Sometimes it just means that you can knit socks out of it aesthetically. Um, right. Sometimes it just means fingering, correct? Mm -hmm. But yeah. if you see high twist sock yarn, you'll know for sure. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. gonna it's gonna do this on purpose because that extra tensile strength uh, makes it more durable. So I wonder if a high twist sock yarn would be good for the bra. Probably. Because the negative ease would keep it from moving around on you very much and the elastic. It can feel more coarse because it's got more twist in it. That's true. The high twist yarn, I just ordered some high twist yarn myself and it's a merino tensile blend. So I'll see how it feels and see if I'd want it against my boobies. Report back. I'll boobies. be reporting back. <laughs> I mean, Sorry. my womanly breasts. I am just so... Yeah, I just posted a picture of myself on the internet in my underwear, so I am a little preoccupied with wondering. If Jen made a much more beautiful me. bra than the Carol bra, I think. Not that listen, I love my Carol bra so much, but Jen made a gorgeous hand sewn bra for herself for her birthday, and uh, thanks, mom. And you can see it on on the internet. Yeah, I'm calling it my birthday suit. <laughs> It's a very vulnerable thing to show your 9,000 closest friends your tits. I'm just saying. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the um, the full view will be in my newsletter. It won't be on the gram. Not that. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Anyway, I got this to knit Local Meadow, which is a lightly cabled sweater. It does bias. Before I decide I'm not going to use it, that's a seamed garment. And when we have seams or when we have a lot of cables, when we have a lot of decreases and increases specifically the decreases, but then there's usually an offsetting increase, like in lace, um, those mm -hmm. can add extra structure that can help offset twist, right? Particularly if your cables yeah. are twisting in the opposite direction, right? That can add that twist kind of yeah. back in. Um, and decreases really hold this... things pretty mm -hmm. in place because they're, mm -hmm. they're not very flexible. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I'll probably do with this before I make the decision on whether or not, because it would be so beautiful, wouldn't it? It's a really nice color and you love that color. It's cordial. Are you going to knit like half a sleeve and see what happens? I'm going to I'm gonna block the swatch and see Again. if it goes square and stays square. Will you block it with pins to see if you can square it? Yeah. Yeah, because that's so how Jen I'll and block I never pin out our garment swatches usually right. first go around. But if you find an issue, then you might want to pin because especially if you're knitting something seamed like local meadow you will be blocking with pins at the end there. So yep. but then a seamless garment with a bias would be a lot more of a PIA. I do a seamless with a bias. Yeah. But that's why I think like my Sarah is a seamless single ply and it does not do these things to me. So I think it's okay. I think, I don't think I, I don't think I have this problem. Because I've always intellectually known about it, but it's just never, I've never noticed it in my actual knitting. Anyway, so yeah. sometimes so that's... an invisible disability is a secret strength. Yeah. It unbiases your yarn. <laughs> it unbiases your yarn. <laughs> Our next. So... Oh, are you ready? Yes, I'm yes. Sorry. Are you ready? Okay. Um, Victoria Henry is our next um, readout here. Something I wish I had spent more time with when I was a new sweater knitter is really asking myself why I wanted to knit the pattern. Did I choose it because I liked the shape or fit? Do I like the color combo? Do I just like the picture aesthetic? I think many times I found a beautiful pattern photo, knit the object, then realized I don't actually like the sweater. I was just drawn to the aesthetic or the 
color combinations rather than the pattern itself. Yeah. And I'm sure we've all been there and not just with knitting. I mean, this happens in like shopping, right? All the time. We might love the way something looks, even on a model that looks a lot like us, if we are able to see it modeled on someone a lot like us. And still when it like shows up and isn't on, on our bodies, maybe our feelings have changed. So yeah. it's just so much more high stakes when you are knitting the thing because it takes a longer time to get that end result and sometimes is more expensive than the things we buy ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I teach a three hour workshop on this, but some mm -hmm. of the, I'll, I'm happy to share some of the highlights here. Right. So in that workshop, I teach, um, like, uh, here's a framework, right? Figure out what's already working in your wardrobe. Um, figure out what your needs are, figure out what your gaps are, identify your style and then put it all together. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I like to take kind of a properties based approach. If you have things in your wardrobe. Oh, no, I'm laughing at you again for using the word properties. Because <laughs> Jen is my science friend. She's the best. And I mean, it's that's the appropriate word. I just. Um... I'm just saying that non-homogenous <laughs> is a totally legitimate <laughs> word for the year. It Listen, is. Listen, <laughs> it is. This is Knitter's, this is Knitter's New Year. Uh the year starts now. It's New Year's. I pick my word for the year and it's non-homogenous and that is a vibe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going and mine is mine is uh, malleability. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a science word that has to do with like the elements. I wish that. Colloidal. <laughs> yeah, I used colloid yesterday. I wish that my daughters or my, or my partner were here because all three of them would be like, Bess, this is use these science words, Bess. <laughs> you like science girlies. You have a type. It's good. It's good to exactly. have a type. Um, anyway, the properties is how I like to, is how I like to talk about this, right? So we have things in our wardrobe that we know work for us. Some of them are hand knit, some of them are not. Why do they work for you? Figure out like what are the describing words for them and like pay attention, right? If you come home and you immediately change your clothes and put on pajamas. What was the property of the thing that you had to get off? Like then mm -hmm. don't make that. Um, and what are the properties the of the pajamas that you love to wear? Yes. Secret pajamas. <laughs> How can you get more secret pajamas? Thank you, Lily, for bringing the phrase secret pajamas into my life. Um, oh, I love that phrase. I, yeah, I think right? like, this is the first time I'm hearing it, but thank you, Lily, for bringing secret pajamas into my life. Yes. That's fiber <laughs> Lily. She's in bed. She's amazing. Uh, yeah. So likewise, if you had to rip something off, what if you are, find yourself like digging through the laundry to get out that one thing and throw it in the wash and put it on again, what's the properties of that thing? Right. Mm -hmm. So figure out what's actually already working for you and then compare that to the patterns that you're attracted to. But then also think about your needs, right? Like a lot of us don't have a clear idea of which of our wardrobes we're knitting for, right? Are you knitting for your work wardrobe? Are you knitting for your leisure work wardrobe? Is it your going out with friends wardrobe? Um, if you're big into um, knitting culture, is it your local yarn store knit night wardrobe, right? We mm -hmm. all have different wardrobes. So be clear about which one you're knitting for. And then what are your needs when you're in that wardrobe? So if these are your at home around the house knits, you know, maybe you need three quarter length sleeves because you spend a lot of time with your hands cooking and you don't want to you, you end up taking your sweaters off because you don't want to get, you know, sauce food. on the sleeves, sauce on the sleeves. Yeah. I, couldn't, <laughs> I had lots of words and none of them were that appropriate, uh, <laughs> you know, or if you're going to be in an office, what's the actual temperature of your office, right? You might find that your sweaters are too warm for the office or in some climates too cold because they mm -hmm. air conditioner the bejeebers out of your office. Um, and likewise, like, what does your body really need? Like, are you choosing your size based on your actual measurements and your actual measurements for the season? I talk about this all the time, but I had a knitter in my wardrobe class who was a farmer. And so end of the season, she would take her measurements and cast on. And by the time she went to wear her things in the winter, her body changed, right? So if you need to take your measurements throughout the year, do that. And then make sure that you're knitting for the size that you will be when your sweater is... Done. Yeah, when you're planning to wear it. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about this a little bit yesterday too, because I think, right, the more that we define our aesthetic and the more that we define our style, then the easier it is to, to find those items that fit. Um, 
and to kind of see beyond the marketing because sometimes something is shot in such a way like in photography that it might not actually fit into that style right the way that you define it right however um jen gave this tip which is really great and rings very true to the way that i've developed my style my knit wardrobe is that if you consider like your style as not necessarily just what you wear because there's all of this extra baggage there when we put something onto our own body about like what it means and whatever. But if you um, look around your home for your favorite pieces or the overall style and the ethos that you tend to create in your favorite corners of your home, the places that feel the most like you, or even like, where's your favorite place to go and hang out? Like what's your favorite coffee shop look like? And those things are going to help you um, more and more define like, what is your style? I love the way that Candace dresses. Um, and it is nothing like the way that I dress. So even though we wear the same size, we like rarely share clothes because we just don't like to wear the same kinds of things at all. (laughs) Yeah. I wasted so much money in my early twenties buying like cute Mm -hmm. preppy office clothes which is funny because uh, I won't wear it unless it has a soft waistband and I pretty much only wear sports bras. So uh, all those pencil skirts and heels like really sat around. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then also they were too high maintenance. They needed to be dry cleaned. And like one of my needs is that ain't got time for that. It's got to be launderable for me in a way that I can do at home. Yeah. Or be something that doesn't need to be laundered often. Like, wool, like knits. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it. So thank you, Victoria. Um, What is our next? I pulled these comments, but I still don't have them. Bus darts. Let's talk about, (laughs) let's talk about boobs some more. This one's from Just Lease. Just Lease said, I've been avoiding even adding sweater patterns to my queue if they have all over stitch patterns because I definitely need bus darts. And while I feel very proficient now in adding horizontal short row darts to stockinette, I don't feel even remotely confident about figuring out how to do that in anything besides stockinette. Isolda has some advice in Little Red in the City, but what she says about it is very brief. Guess I need to get swatching. Um, yeah, so thanks for contributing this. I think you're Lisa. Um, I think this is Lisa, just Lise. Um, you can totally add bust arts in pattern. The trick is that you want your pattern to be uninterrupted in the middle and uninterrupted at the sides. So when we work horizontal short row bust starts. We're going to be making those turns between the underarm seam, the side seam, and the apex just to the outside of the apex of the bust start. So all those turns are going to happen on the side there. And in any fabric, they're going to create a faint diagonal line. So as you go mm-hmm. up each row, that location will move and it will create a bust start line, much like you would see in woven fabrics. So yeah. the beauty is that in stockinette, it's never interrupted because every row is knit. But if you are working in a pattern, then you need to apply your bust start, your, your bust start number of rows that you're adding for your bust start needs to match the number of rows in the pattern you're working. So if you have an eight row pattern, you can add bust start rows in increments of eight, and then you will just always be knitting in pattern in the middle here. You'll always be knitting in pattern in the sides at back and at the yeah. sides, it will be uninter- it will be interrupted, but then it will be just fine when you go back to knitting in pattern after you're done with your resolution row. Yeah, and it looks very much um, the same way that it would look in any sewn garment with bust hearts or seams, like a pattern there is interrupted, but in the center of the fabric, you don't see that. So it's actually often less visible to do bust hearts in like an all over texture or an all over lace than it even is in stockinette where it's yeah. usually very easy to see the bust starts, but it's not like they take away from the finished look either. Right. Yeah. So the, um, the idea is that you have to end your bust start shaping at the same row of the pattern where you started it in order for it to be continuous where it counts, where it needs to be. Right. So that's why you have to use that, um, whatever number of rows it is. You don't have to start at the beginning of the pattern repeat, but you have to have increments of that number of row. So that's why you don't see limitations. Right. And that's why you don't see like Jen and I doing stitch patterns that are 30 stitches wide and 30 stitches high because, or 30 rows high, because they're not flexible enough to really grade 
the way that we like to grade for fit. You know, you you can have a an interesting panel like down the back of something, but those interesting panels, if the row repeat is too high, that limits you in being able to include bust arts. Um, yeah. Yeah. Another will... thing that can make it hard is if you're doing like a Gansey pattern or something where you have multiple different stitch repeats. And so mm -hmm. like maybe each stitch repeat is 12 rows or eight rows or 16 rows. Any of those would be fine. But in combination, like, do they right. ever now line up find some sort of like least mm -hmm. common denominator and it's going to be like a yeah. hundred and something rows, which doesn't yep. work. <laughs> the easiest place to apply this is in like a standard all over stitch texture, a standard all over color work pattern. Um, and then the second most easy would be lace because with lace, Simple as lace yeah. whenever you have shaping in lace, you do need to make sure that if you're working an increase, you're also working the decrease. Yeah, and I'm working on some resources for managing lace decreases um, and working in pattern with all over lace. Because if you look in my back library, that's one of my favorite things to do. And um, it has become super natural for me shaping in lace. You can get there if you're not there. But I know that people, when you're starting your first all over lace project, no matter how many like stockinette sweaters you make, it's intimidating to go into something with a stitch pattern. I will say like one of my first sweaters that I made, it was probably my third or something. It wasn't all over lace pattern, but I, you know, <laughs> it turned out okay, but it was not like perfect by any means. Um, so it's just something that you practice, making sure you're managing those increases and decreases and really learning like what a paired increase and decrease mean. And if that's something you struggle with, you know, I'm happy to take further questions on working in lace and we can talk more about it if there's interest. Yeah. I think something that trips up knitters who are new to seeing an instruction that says decrease in pattern or increase mm -hmm. in pattern is um, until you're really good at reading your knitting, that can be tough, right? Because what you've yeah. got to do when you're thinking about increasing and decreasing in pattern is you, you got to think in columns, right? So that yes. knit, purl, knit, purl, if you decrease one, you're not going to knit, purl, knit, purl, you're going to purl knit, right? Because you have, will have gotten rid of the first stitch. So you're, you're thinking about continuity of the pattern in a column. Um, mm -hmm. And that can be trickiest in lace because the stitches move around. Yeah, I do recommend, I think that developing the skill of reading your knitting is probably necessary before you start working all over textured garments or at least it will make your life a lot easier to get to that point um, so that you can recognize like where those center stitches are and where they're supposed to be. Yeah. Marking center stitches and patterns is really um, helpful also, but uh, if you are not able to recognize in the written uh, instructions which stitch is the center, then it, it still makes it hard even if that's marked, right? Yeah. So that's a little tricky, but it is manageable. And like a a lot of lace textures, two rows or four row repeats where it isn't hard to get them to work for bust arts. It's just that um, it can sometimes be tricky. You might add an extra stitch or lose one here or there. So uh, yeah, it's like, like Jen said, that's step level two, level two bust arts. Level two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we hope that helps you add those bust arts. Um, I definitely do find Little Red in the City to be a great resource for folks yeah. who would like good visuals on bust arts. Um, I also have a blog post that adds a little bit more information. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, we definitely suggest trying out a pattern that's already done the work. So most of our patterns from our recent catalog will have bust art instructions in multiple sizes. So that means it's fully written out. You follow the instructions that we give you in the pattern to choose a size, and then we'll tell you where those turns go, what to do row by row to make sure that you have success. And the only reason not to do this, y'all, is because you can't unknow how much better your fit is going to be. Like once yeah. you've done it, you can't go back. You can't go back to not doing it. If I know. Yeah. So um, I resisted it. doing this <laughs> for a long time because I was a little bit intimidated of it. I don't think I put my first bus start in a sweater until last June. So it's only been about 15 months for me. Um, and I put the instructions in the pattern because I could tell that some people really wanted them. And I was like, oh, this will be a great way to add value for knitters. And then when I tried mine on and it was like a belly shirt in the front, I was like, it's me. The calls are coming from inside the house. 
<laughs> and now I can't I, go back. <laughs> I'm so used to um, having ridiculous amounts of, of rise in the front with anything that I've purchased because I feel like I never thought my boobs were really that big, but the size I that I wear. I want to say something about that too. What? Your boobs. I want to talk about your boobs because I, I only, know. until recently, I only ever experienced them as a set of measurements. Right. Now and you in know person, my boobs actually I would look not like. have said you or somebody I think would benefit from a bust art adjustment. Exactly. My boobs don't look big, but it's don't. part of this whole thing that my body is very juicy. And mm -hmm. so my boobs are very balanced with my upper arms, with my hips and my butt. So they don't look big on their own. But the measurement when taken is quite large for my size. That, so, you know, that's why it's tricky. That's why you have to measure. Um, yeah. And I usually only knit cup one, although in my bralette pattern, I am like the second largest cup. That pattern, it was called cup three, but in bust charts, it's like a cup two. Um, either way, though, it's a significant difference. And I experienced so much rise. Like I was just used to always having my belly out, honestly, like, yeah, because all of my shirts have done that in the past. And I still didn't really think it was me because yeah, my overall frame is pretty balanced. So, but I have to modify, as you know, my upper arms. And if I'm knitting something long, I have to make sure that it's large enough for my butt because I'm an outlier in all of those places where my body gets wider it gets wider than you think yeah i learned yeah. so many things sewing this bra about the differences in my breasts too right like they're wider than would be indicated for my mine are also size. Very wide. and they're also further apart than would be indicated mm -hmm. for any of my other measurements um yeah and my shoulders because my shoulders are narrower than my rib cage would predict like the next time I sew one, I will rotate this band in just a little bit too. So I was able to make like a ton of adjustments. This is only the first, like I made a lot of muslins, but um, you know, just the, I made four, four and a half muslin mm -hmm. bras before I sewed this one. And you still don't really know because you're just kind of pinning it on with elastic um, yeah. until you sew the first one for real. Um, but the materials are a little hard to come by. So you want to get as close as you can. So there are a few additional tweaks that I would make, but you know, it, things are really deceptive and experimenting with what's going to fit your torso really is the best, the best way to get the information you need. Yeah. I know that my, I think that's one of the reasons that it doesn't look like I have big boobs because the space between them for me is significant. Like even in college, my girlfriends would be like, your boobs are so far apart. And I'd be like, I know it's so weird. And then yeah. we just keep getting dressed. Right. But so I've never had like cleavage because they're never like smushed together but there's whatever <laughs> this is so much about what my boobs are like i hope you guys enjoy <laughs> hey we can like when we have 10 million followers it's gonna be really a different situation i don't That's mind true. being intimate with this crew i feel like i know them <laughs> but truth be told i'm never gonna stop so <laughs> I know. I know. All right. All right. Next question. <laughs> okay. So the next thing we're going to talk about is size inclusion. And this is not a comment from the podcast or the broadcast. Do you mm -hmm. know how many people get really upset when you call a YouTube broadcast a podcast? No. Oh, it's I a I don't know that. Okay. Like, do I not get those emails? Cause you're the first email filter. <laughs> No, nobody's mean to us on email. Everyone's super nice. Um, They're only mean to us on Reddit. But yeah. <laughs> that's fine. It's not for them. Um, okay. Like the same way that uh, – have you ever like – whenever I was having a bad day at work, I used to like go leave a random comment on like a golf forum that called golf a game instead of a sport. Um <laughs> I've never had an office job, so I've never had a hobby like this. <laughs> I used to I like, felt, like really out of control people. of my own joy. I would just be like, what a fun game. And people get really like, you don't have to say anything else after that. You just walk away. Um, <laughs> it is a sport. Anyway, people have very strong feelings that a podcast is audio um, because it's from iPods, right? And so 
Um, I have been like, well, what do you do when it's both? But there are video iPods, so suck it. There I was mean, a video iPod before there was an iPhone, and there are sorry, a lot. Sorry, guys, of, language changes. <laughs> there are a lot of people on YouTube that call their broadcast a podcast, but oh, they're mad at all of them. That's fine. Yeah, that's it's okay. fine. We may but, change. Well, we're definitely changing the name of the pod now that we ha- are one wild, but yeah. we d- can't promise what it'll be called. I try and refer to it as a broadcast. That's what Christina and Sarah do at Tech Tips, and I think that that's. I like it. Descriptive. But to me, a broadcast is supposed to be live, but I know it's not always. My dad worked in the news. I'm not calling it a vlog. It's not a vlog either. No, because that's when it's like a scrapbook of your your making life. Is this not that? Is this this our scrapbook? This is a scrapbook of our friendship. Oh, I made me cry. (laughs) Don't. I didn't don't. even need to. No. Okay. Listen, so I, you know we need the likes. <laughs> I, um, God, I'm so easy. You make me cry so easy. Um, <laughs> if anybody is ever nice to me, I will just cry. Or if I get really mad, I will cry. But like if something sad happens, I will be like, mm, I'll have a response to that at some point. Because um, <laughs> I hate crying so much. And I'm like prepared. Like I'm braced against it when it's something sad. I'm like, okay, this I can bury. But if you make me <laughs> That's not how my eyes work. It's they a only vlog. <laughs> they only work in in watering. <laughs> Look, I'm gonna do it. Um, I did a little piece of content on my gram about when we're calling things size inclusive, and they are not. And they're not. Yeah. And that can be a sensitive topic for people because a lot of people are trying very hard. Um. And are doing the thing that they think is best. And it can be difficult to read a piece of short form content like you get on Instagram and feel attacked or to feel defensive. But I happen to know the nicest people on Instagram. um, And they are very good at holding a beautiful conversation with lots of room for gray areas and nuance. Um, And sometimes I get DMs where people are open and curious and want to know more, but maybe you don't feel like having that conversation out in public. Um, so there's one point in this, um, I call it size washing. Cause sometimes it is really deliberate. Sometimes it's just naivete and a lack of mm-hmm. professional knowledge, but sometimes it's deliberate. Well, uh, and learning the difference is pretty key. Like looking, one of the major differences there is whether or not that person has an extensive catalog of knits because, I promise anyone that has more than 20 patterns in their library that are not size inclusive, they've been told someone's they've been invited to do better. I literally released like my first sweater pattern and immediately got a message that was like, this is not size inclusive. And I was like, Oh no. And so, right. And that's why I have, I learned better and I did better, but people told me immediately and I had like a hundred followers. So I'm assuming that people who have 25,000 followers have gotten that note at some point. And there's some very bad behavior. A very large designer um, last week was deleting comments. Yeah. It's the internet's also just not the best place, but there's not a ton of room for nuance. And one of the questions that I get asked in DMs is about a point that I think I want to talk about here a little bit, which is equal sizing options. So we both believe in fixed ease grading and then providing mm-hmm. the schematic and then allowing the knitter to choose what's right for them. So that means that if the size one in a positive ease garment has four inches of ease, then size 10 also has four inches of ease. Now, yeah, when I and talk it's about four inches, not one to seven inches that's of positive right. ease, because giving the actual number is another point that really helps people determine appropriate fit. Yes. Um, but sometimes we will see designers who choose to grade for a 32 inch bust, a 34 inch bust, a 36 inch bust. So there's two inches between each size, but then they get to the top of the range and it's 50, 54, 58. There's only four inches. There's now four inches. So there's Mm -hmm. half as many sizes for the larger bodies, even though we know that bodies change as much between sizes, wherever you are on the grade. Mm -hmm. So you know, and I only know that this is happening. I think most of us aren't paying attention to this point because we're looking for our size. We're not necessarily looking at what happens across the grade. Um, but I had a number of um, 
knitters who identify as fat knitters who contacted me and were like, you need to add this to what you're talking about because this really stings. Like it really sucks to go in and be like, oh, I'll pick my size and to see, to notice that different sizes are um, treated as deserving of more flexibility in choosing a size than others. So, you know, whenever I have somebody who contacts me and it's like, wait, why is this a problem? I'm like, okay, well, let me ask you a question. Let's ask a rhetorical question. Why have you chosen to do your smallest sizes two inches apart instead of the larger ones? And then people usually get it like, oh, yeah, that mm -hmm. is odd. Why did I do that? Why did I, why was that my first response when I wanted to add sizes without having too many and to still cover that range? So uh, the too long didn't read version is that everybody deserves equal flexibility to size. You don't really need to grade every two inches anyway, not for knitting. It's, it's a really it's difficult to digest pattern when it has mm -hmm. that many sizes. Um, so if you are going to offer patterns, offer equal grading throughout the range, equal size increments between sizes. Yeah. And I, I do think, right, having a two inch grade is how a lot of, like that's definitely how I ended up not having enough. Um, I had enough sizes, but they weren't spread out over the right range of body sizes, right? So it's like you think, or I thought because I had, 10 sizes, 12 sizes, like this must be good. But if you're working on a two inch grade, that really doesn't cover the same span at all. And like Jen said, it's very rare that a knit project requires that close of a grade, unlike sewing, where maybe a two inch grade is more necessary because woven fabric doesn't always forgive the way that knit fabric does. Yeah, I mean, I like to think that what happens is a lot of new designers will download their first size chart and it's graded every two inches. And instead mm -hmm. of saying, okay, which set of every four inches am I going to choose? They just move forward with every two inches. I did one every two inches. Um, I found I that to make one. it legible, I broke it into two PDFs, right? So sizes one through nine were in PDF mm -hmm. one and sizes 10 through 18 were in the second PDF because it's also very difficult to ask a knitter to wade through all those parentheticals right. and all those size by size instructions that you need to yeah. make a truly size inclusive pattern. Yeah. A line of 18 numbers is too many numbers to manage really when you're yeah, reading. Brain can't pain. work with that. Yeah. But yeah, those are, I mean, that's, I think again, when we talk about size inclusion, there's a big divide between like, I'm new to this, I'm learning and being willing to change. Right. Which like, I will never hold someone um, in a negative light for starting off in a place that maybe wasn't ideal because that was my own beginning. And people now say like very nice things about me and my work and the size range that I offer. But in my heart, you know, I remember all the time that like I had to learn. And so there's a very big difference between people who haven't learned and people who should know better. And that's where the size washing thing comes in when it's someone that does or should know better that um, are still choosing to pretend that they're doing something because they know that's what the market like wants them to do. And that's bullshit. That's bullshit. Yep. Yep. So, you know, we do recommend, you know, a lot of people are like, this is so rigid. Like we have a different lens that we will apply. Um, there's I mean, nuance yeah. in the expectations we have for different players in this industry. But, you know, the lens that I apply is trying to look at it through the eyes of whoever is in my largest size or the largest size range and think of how it feels to that person because those people absolutely exist in our community and want to knit your pattern and want to be in community too. And there's, I can't think of a single reason why I should not welcome them. So yeah. And I appreciate that distinction, right? Because we're thinking about both ends of the outliers. You know, mm -hmm. I have plenty of people in my audience who have a 28 inch bust and they also want to be true. participating in this community and cannot. So, you know. Yeah. And that's actually something even right now, as I'm saying this, that I've been offering 30 to 72 inches and I may be adjusting my size chart to 28 to 70 because 30 is not the same as 28. So people who are a 28 inch bus have to modify my smallest size a bit. And um, the only reason I have not made that change is because my own size falls in the 
in the range that I use. Uh, so you're on the four. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on the four instead of on the two or whatever. So yeah. Jen and I are in conversation about that and you may end up seeing my size range tweak a little bit, but you know, if I offer 28, then somebody who's using my size 72 may need to tweak a little bit on the upper end. So it feels like a similar trade-off to me. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've got some nonprofit background. I worked in nonprofits in my previous career for about 13 years. And there's a, humans are asked to digest a tremendous amount of information every day. And to do the due diligence to make a values-based decision is a big investment of time and energy. Whether you're choosing a nonprofit or whether you're choosing to vote with your dollar, like we want metrics that help us decide, is this somebody that I want to support? Is this somebody who's creating the change that I believe in? Um, and in nonprofits, there's this thing called the efficiency ratio where it's like, how much of your money is spent on programming? Well, you know, you can't distill an entire organization's function and efficiency in the world, like the change that they're making. If mm -hmm. I, if somebody needs $10, $10 million and they're only going to spend $1 of it on programming, but they're going to cure cancer, I don't care if they spend the other, every single dollar on Doritos. I don't care. I would also make that trade, please. Right. Right. <laughs> I know. And likewise, like slapping the label when we, when we begin to rely on labels and we begin to rely on quick access metrics for our decision-making to stand in for our decision-making to stand in for our own judgment, our own nuance, we drive bad behavior. So in the nonprofit yeah, then world we're in the nineties, eating sugar-free aspartame. Right. 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 Or like, so that's the thing. <laughs> or in the eighties, fat free. Right. And we all just lived on white bread and margarine. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we don't, we can't single metrics are never going to be the stand in and it drives bad behavior. So in the nonprofit world, what you see then is you see major starvation of infrastructure investments that are actually things that the nonprofit needs to be investing in out into the future. And in our industry, you see people using the word size inclusive without there being a nuance of what that means, what it doesn't mean, whether or not somebody is maybe doing one of these things that I'm saying is not best practices, but the rest of their practices create a whole that's bigger than the sum of its parts, right? So yeah, uh, I think the too long didn't read on this whole conversation is that you have to use nuance and you can't just rely on anyone calling out or calling in or creating an infographic online yeah. Yep. Or slapping a hashtag on things. I agree. You know, we all need to practice discernment, but we're often just like a lot of our conversations are around that, like discerning what really is best practice within a moving target and yeah. um, a world full of humans. So we'll probably be doing even different things in another year, another two years, another 10 years. So, yeah. Absolutely. Future Bass is looking back on this Bass and being like, you know nothing. <laughs> I hope she's being nice about it. <laughs> she is. She has tons of grace. Oh, thanks. Did you want me to read the last one? I have it, actually. I Go for it. I remembered to pull that up. So this was a last comment that I wanted to close with because it just uh, touched me. And it's from just Lise again, who we think is Lise. <laughs> Um, and she said, I am also looking at my making journey as an act of rebellion against the harmful messages that came and still come from every quarter, family, media, etc. I have a body where ready to wear doesn't fit me and resign myself that my only option was to either continually starve myself or feel frumpy every day. I'd fully internalized that because I'm not thin, I didn't deserve to look good in my clothes. After a lot of reprogramming my mind and following a ton of inspirational women makers with bodies like mine on Instagram, I got to the place that hell yes, I'm fully deserving of feeling good in my clothes. The body I have is perfectly fine and doesn't need to be any different. And the only necessary fix would be to learn everything I possibly can about making well-fitting garments myself and to set about doing just that. So, um, Thank you for this comment. You said thank you to me and Jen, and we so appreciate that. But, you know, thank you. We see you. It is 
so inspiring every time that one of us can break out of these chains of being told this is for you, that isn't for you, you do get this, you don't get that, you're supposed to look this way. Like, no, you're fucking not. So, you know, every time one of us feels empowered, we're all empowered. And I'm just like honored to be part of a community that's doing this work. This is feminism to me. And this is humanism. And this is what's going to create equality is making sure that we all recognize that we all deserve it. Yeah, I mean, this is a movement. And I'm so honored to be participating in it with not just your best, but everyone who writes us everyone who watches everyone who, yeah. you know, shares their progress with one of their patterns using what they've learned from, you know, from anyone who is engaged in the conversation, right? There's so many of us um, yeah. and it's really peer led and community supported and we really value that and take your trust in us so seriously and with daily gratitude. So thank you yeah. for these words, just Lise. Thank and you. And the sentiment. Thank you everybody. Um, you know, we love doing this. You can expect to see us a little more frequently coming in the fall. We'll be doing lives and experimenting with more ways to be here more. Yeah. And we hope to see you next Friday for the cast on mm -hmm. party. Don't forget mm -hmm. that code for 15% off if you would like to use it um, is going to be one wild K-A-L all caps. And it'll mm -hmm. be where, wherever fine patterns are found. That's what people <laughs> say. That's a thing. Is that a thing? I didn't know. Wherever fine patterns are found, <laughs> you shall find. I'm going to cry with embarrassment now. <laughs> I told you I was going to start doing more voices. Is it fine meats? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that's from. It's see, Here's the thing. I never watch any movies and I quote mm. shit all the time. That I don't know where it's from. I don't know. I like that about you, but I don't know okay, where this good. is from either. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you, everybody. You will hear from us again soon. Let us know what you think. Send us some more good comments and we'll yeah. do some more episodes like this. Yeah. Happy knitting. Happy knitting. Is it going to stop? Is it stopping? It says stop.